Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Men's health, and specifically men's prostate health, matters. Questions like, where does prostate health and prostate ill health, including cancer, rank as far as men's health is concerned? What must every man and the people who care about him understand about prostate health? What are the symptoms of prostate ill health? How is prostate health treated from an initial minor irregularity to metastatic prostate cancer? There are new drugs and procedures increasingly being introduced. One of the uh, more exciting uh, developments is robotic surgery. And many urologic procedures at St. Joseph's Hospital in Hamilton use the donor-funded Da Vinci 11 surgical robot, which allows patients to heal faster and get home sooner. Uh, in fact, St. Joe's is one of the uh, only a handful of centers in Canada with a full-fledged robotic surgery program. I'm going to tell you a little bit later where you how you can uh, donate to to the hospital and to the the operation, the robot operation. Uh, but first, let's talk to Dr. Bobby Shagan, neurologic oncologist and director of surgery, one of the world's leading robotic surgeons at St. Joseph's Hospital, Hamilton. Happens to be my doctor as well. That's a terrible fate to be stuck with me, eh, Dr. Shagan? <laughs> well, great. To, um, I, I really want to thank you for inviting me to your show uh, and giving me a platform um, with which to sort of spread the news about prostate health, as, as you mentioned. But no, it's been a pleasure having you, right? Thank you. Dr. Shagan, where does prostate health and prostate ill health, including cancer, rank as far as men's health is concerned? Well, I think, you know, broadly speaking, all men um, as we age are going to experience one symptom or another that has to do with uh, prostate health. So hopefully the majority of these uh, are going to be benign issues that result in urinary symptoms. And, and I would say the vast majority of men past the age of 50 will experience some of these symptoms. But th- this is a benign situation. Um, the trouble that we have is that prostate cancer also is an incredibly common uh, diagnosis, and it, it presents um, uh, across a wide spectrum of threats. Uh, on one end, it's not threatening at all, and you'll likely either not know you have it or die with it than of it, and that's probably half of them. But unfortunately, you got the other end of the spectrum where it is a lethal cancer, and all of that is very, very common. And in fact, this year, for the first time in many years, um, prostate cancer in the United States became the leading cause of um, uh, cancer deaths in men. In Canada, it's about the third, just lagging slightly behind colon cancer, and its leading position is lung cancer, unfortunately. But it's a huge issue. And the trouble is that those who have benign disease may have symptoms. Those who have prostate cancer may not have symptoms or may have symptoms, but one does not predict the other. And, and the reality is, I think men uh, need to have some sense of um, self-empowerment, see their family physician, and insist on, you know, logical testing 
uh, especially if they have uh, 10 plus years of uh, life expectancy and you you know you want to ask your family physician what's my risk um, there's been mixed messages from the government on this subject and uh, unfortunately I think it's led to an increased diagnosis of metastatic prostate cancer, certainly in the U.S. and also in Canada. So, uh, Dr. Shagan, what are the symptoms a man should be looking for? You, you, you mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned, uh, or maybe this is my way of putting it, spending more time at the urinal than you used to or you think is appropriate. Well, I mean, listen, um, I think a lot of us uh, will, will have these types of symptoms as we get older. Uh, but as I mentioned, like the majority of these symptoms tend not to reflect underlying prostate cancer, but it has, does have to do with prostate health. And I think it's always when you have urinary symptoms. So what are those symptoms that you ask? Tends to be frequency of urination. You know, you have to go more often than you used to. Perhaps when you were younger, you could go to bed and wake up the next morning without having to be um, woke in the middle of the night. As we get older, that, that changes for sure. The rate with which we pee, the flow changes. It becomes weaker, becomes intermittent. Um, and, you know, men really shouldn't have urinary infections. Uh, and so if you are, that reflects an underlying pathology. So I think if you have any of these types of symptoms, you should probably seek advice from your family physician. And one of the things that's optional, but I do think, as I mentioned, that if you are destined to live 10 years, 10 plus years, just based on the basis of your other medical or health issues, it's worthwhile asking your family physician for a PSA test. Now, there's an area of controversy, an area where family physicians, in general, do not do this. But if you have urinary symptoms and you have 10 plus years of life expectancy, I think it's, um, it's, it's a very reasonable test to ask for, and it's a great screening test for prostate cancer, and hopefully... Uh, it'll all come to nothing, and then you can treat the urinary symptoms for what they are. But if the PSA ends up being high or higher than it should be for your particular age, then a referral should be made to a urologist to assess whether or not there's a risk of prostate cancer. Because if you catch it early enough, you can make an appropriate decision as to whether this should be treated conservatively, i.e. just watch it. Does this merit treatment? Is this curable? And, and as you mentioned, there's many, many new treatments on the horizon, many that are already in place, as, for example, robotic surgery, radiation treatments have evolved. Um, many of this is not routinely covered, so I thank you for putting a plug out for us for um, donations. Uh, that's always welcome to our St. Joseph's Healthcare Foundation in Hamilton. Um, but also, so many of those patients are curable. Many can just be watched, and as the metastatic patients, the needle has moved. And certainly we've gone from famine uh, to feast, um, if that's even appropriate to say, but in patients with metastatic prostate cancer where cure was not possible in the past and cure is still not possible, what is, uh, there's been a dramatic uh, movement of the needle in the right direction in terms of extending lives of patients with metastatic disease and um, also improving their quality of life and allowing them to spend more time with their loved ones uh, and keeping things in check. Uh, you know, doing our best to turn uh, an acutely lethal disease into hopefully uh, a, uh, perhaps hopefully even a chronic disease. If we can't cure it, maybe we can control it for years. And I think, um, you know, we've seen um, a huge evolution in that just in the last decade. And it continues to expand and proliferate. And I, and I think, you know, we're at the sort of on the curve of a leading curve of a very exciting time in prostate cancer. 
And with an aging population and definitely an aging male population, that's uh, certainly uh, uh, significantly right. important. Um, yeah. Let me ask you a little bit about the uh, the robotic surgery and, sure. and uh, the Da Vinci Eleven surgical robot, which you have at St. Joseph's Hospital, mm-hmm. which yes. was uh, which was funded by donors. And St. Right. Joe's is only uh, one of a handful of centers in Canada with a full fledged robotic surgery program. It, it seems to me we need more than that. Let me also tell our listeners if you'd like to participate or, or contribute to the robotic surgery program at St. Joseph's Hospital. You can uh, go to uh, stjoesfoundation.ca, stjoesfoundation.ca, uh, and you can uh, extend that to stjoesfoundation.ca forward slash give or call 905-521-6036. Where does the robotics enter the picture, Dr. Shagan, and how does it change the, 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 um, the result? Great question, and um, I'm happy to address that. Uh, being one of the, the individuals who does a lot of this is sort of uh, a big part of my practice, frankly, and a part that I, I do personally deeply believe in. So um, to answer your question, you know, when we diagnose a patient with prostate cancer, um, as I alluded to earlier, it, it can occur on anyone in the spectrum of disease. On the far left of the spectrum, these are patients in whom we advise them to do nothing because any treatment is um, going to carry some side effects. And in those patients, we say, look, your disease is really quite minimal and it's not going to pose a threat. We'll follow you. We'll be you know, quite careful to catch any progression, but hopefully not. Then they have patients in whom their prostate cancer is sort of... Um, one that can't be watched, and one that hasn't yet um, um, metastasized. So it's localized disease, but carries all the hallmarks or signatures of a disease that, if left untreated, is going to metastasize in due course. And we don't have a crystal ball, but in the majority of these patients, we can categorize them into various levels of risk and base our treatments on that. But in general, men who have, again, 10-plus years of life expectancy and in reasonably good medical shape are typically offered uh, curative treatment uh, with surgery. Radiation is a great alternative as well, and technology has changed there. Now, surgically speaking, historically, that was an open, what we called an open radical retropubic prostatectomy, which is a big fancy term to say we make a vertical incision in the lower abdomen right in the midline, and through that, we have to remove the prostate, which is a small organ that lies in between the bladder and the male pelvis and the urethra, and then sew it all back together. But it's a terribly sensitive, delicate area, and unfortunately, very prone to significant bleeding. Um, and men would often stay in hospital for three to four days. Transfusion rates varied somewhere between 5 to 20%. So it wasn't without a significant impact on these men. And in general, men will have to deal with some degree of urinary leakage problem afterwards or what we call urinary incontinence and, um, and sexual dysfunction. Um, robotics um, has improved the entire experience there um, for the patient and the surgeon. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's essentially operating in a three-dimensional world, you know, where the robot is an interface between the surgeon and the patient, allowing you know highly delicate movement in the small spaces through small incisions. So the net result is less bleeding, less pain. In fact, at St. Joseph's, we're quite progressive. We've published on this. We've studied this. And we're the only center 
that routinely discharges about two-thirds of our patients home the same night. And I mean, now that stands in stark contrast to having it had to admit patients and keep them for three to four days, observe them, send them home on, on opioid medications, and a whole host of other issues. So, But, of course, it's more expensive. So acquisition of the technology is expensive. And uh, we've been very fortunate to have had very, very, um, you know, uh, generous donors uh, across all sums um, uh, from within Hamilton, from outside of Hamilton, who have given to us over the last decade. And that's allowed us to um, uh, start this program, and the pro- program has flourished. And just uh, in uh, recently this year, the province, the Ministry of Health in this province announced finally that they are going to increase the funding for the day-to-day procedures uh, that's robotic as it pertains to prostate and kidney cancer and some uh, forms of gynecological cancers like uterine cancers. Um, but that still doesn't really bridge the gap in being able to require the technology. And in Ontario, somewhere around 40% of these men are treated robotically. And if you compare that to, say, the state of New York, where it's about 95%. Mm. So we've got a ways to go. Um, we're doing okay, uh, but we really still rely heavily um, on the generosity of the public. Okay. Uh, we have about three minutes, Dr. Shagan. One of the things to get it's tough to get through to men about, and, I, and I've had conversations since I've been diagnosed. Well, you know, I've heard that uh, every man's going to get it sooner or later, and it's probably not going to be that much of a problem. And then as we keep on talking, the issue of incontinence and sexual dysfunction pops up, and uh, it, it becomes it becomes a, a bit of a minefield of discussion. How do men get around this? You know, that's a, it's a great point. And I think as men, unfortunately, by nature, we're plagued with, uh, you know, often looking the other way, especially as, it, you know, once questions of sexual function and urinary control comes in. But I think you you don't have to look very far. You know, you, you look at the uh, Canadian Cancer Society statistics and the uh, uh, an American Cancer Society, it is now a massive uh, leading cause of death. Uh, and with less screening happening in, in primary care, we're seeing rates of incurable disease go up. And I it, and it really, I, I think the the choices have opened up. Uh, our understanding of the disease has opened up. I think complications of treatment are not what they used to be. And the reality remains that even if you are diagnosed, odds are in half cases that you don't need any treatment other than observation. One more thing that's really important now is for people to recognize that our understanding of genetics has changed. And in many cases, men should be sent for genetic testing because it may have a cascade of impact on their family. So even if it's not for yourself, uh, you have to think beyond that for your children um, and their children and your siblings. And in some cases of prostate cancer, the, there's a genetic basis for it, which can be transmitted um, in the family. And I, so there are many reasons to get tested. Um, and I think yeah, you're always better to be informed than not informed. That's all I would say about it. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.